Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 10 this morning, Nehemiah chapter 10. And I'd ask you, if you would, to uh, pray for Robert. Rob's in, he's actually preaching in Wenatchee right now. Uh, Micah called me, uh, texted me yesterday morning, and he said, Pastor, I hate to do this, but I feel horrible. Can somebody come cover? And uh, so Rob, Rob volunteered for it. Those of you that know Rob, that's not Rob. Uh, to volunteer to preach, Rob loves to teach teens and, and work with kids, but He's like, Pastor, preaching in church, just not my thing. And uh, so, so he volunteered, though, and he'll do a great job there. But if you would pray for, uh, pray for Rob as he preaches there. And uh, then I want to mention this this morning as we, uh, as we look to Mother's Day and honoring all of the moms. Um, I do want to say that there are a number of you moms that Mother's Day is, is kind of a harder day, uh, maybe because of, of losing a child, because of losing a parent. Um, because of maybe a miscarriage or something like that. And I just want you to know that on this day, we prayed for you this morning, those of you that uh, in our church family deal with that, many of you that we know, of course, by name. Uh, But I know uh, just uh, from personal experience, not of being a mother, but personal experience of watching my mom every year uh, go through remembering the the loss of my brother and the hardship there. And then when her mother died, kind of added that weight. And so... Uh, just for those of you going through that, I just want to tell you that, that we, we recognize that today, and we'll let you know we pray for you. And aren't you thankful? It's good, good to know people pray for us, isn't it? And so let's be mindful in praying for others on days like this, days that uh, maybe, uh, maybe might be a harder day. And uh, if you would, pray for, pray for those in our church that, that uh, perhaps have to go through that uh, this week. And, and then my second thing is pray for me this week. Uh, Mother's, Mother's Day week is always a hard week for me. And you say, Pastor, why? It's because I have Mother's Day, my wife's birthday, and our anniversary every year within six days. <laughs> and so uh, <clears throat> financially, it's draining. Uh, emotionally, it is draining. And um, so pray for me that I'd make it to, uh, to uh, Saturday. And uh, we have our anniversary Saturday. Hannah's birthday is tomorrow, Mother's Day today. I tease her every year. It's the same thing. We're there within seven days of each other. Uh, poor planning on my part, but that's okay. Uh, but I uh, just want to say happy birthday to my wife and tell you I love you. And I'll cry if I talk more about it. So I'm not, not going to do that. But Well, Nehemiah chapter 10 this morning is where we're going to be. And I uh, hope that you find your place there. We're continuing to study the life of Nehemiah. We'll get a recap in just a minute. Uh, but we all, have, uh, we all have certain phases of life, certain phases of life where you just could not wait to identify with a certain group. You couldn't wait to claim a certain title. Think about when you were in junior high school. When you were in junior high, you couldn't wait to be in high school, to be a high schooler. When you're in high school, you, you can't wait to be a, a graduate. Man, for some of our seniors that are graduating this year, some in here this morning, uh, that graduation is just right around the corner, and it's like, man, I cannot wait to be a graduate. If you're the person that graduated, 
high school, you have that title, but then you perhaps wanted the title of college student. Maybe you didn't want it, but others wanted it for you. Uh, but you have that title of, of college student. And then in college, you want the title of, of college graduate. Then maybe uh, you, you go on to earn a master's or a doctorate, and you're waiting for that title. But then uh, when you hit 18, 19, 20 years old, you want, you want the title of married you want to find that special someone, and, and you know whether it's when you're in your early 20s or late 20s or whatever it is, you want the title. I want to be known as a couple. I want to be known as married. And then once you get married, you want the title of mother or the title of father. Isn't it interesting in life, we're always looking for the next, the next title, the next thing to identify us, a title that it says a lot about you. A title, it, it really can almost, and I'm talking about these sorts of titles of high schooler and senior or mother or married, it really, it really begins to become a part of you and it, it almost is a, it's a part of who you are. It identifies some character traits about you. It identifies some responsibilities that you have accepted or that you have, uh, have, have lived with and, and uh, pursued. Take, for instance, today being Mother, or today being Mother's Day, take, for instance, the title Mother. It really says a lot, doesn't it? Mother says a lot. If you think about what a mother is, a mother is a nurse. She's the professional boo-boo fixer, the scrape soother, the magical bruise healer. The mother in most homes is the chef a.k.a. the gourmet cook or the shoe chef. She is the, the waitress, the snack maker, the walking Pinterest meal board, the pizzeria chef. In a lot of homes, mom is referee. She's the fight breaker upper, the mediator, the tantrum tamer. In homes, she's the personal assistant. She's the appointment maker, the playdate scheduler, the event planner, the task manager. She's, in many, the, the teacher. She's the homework helper, the example of living a moral life, the explainer of right and wrong. She's the meal planner, the chauffeur, the seat buckler, the car seat installer, the car DJ, the ride giver, the carpooler. She has the title of life coach. She is the amateur, amateur child psychologist, the therapist who listens to all the stories, the girlfriend when someone just needs to vent. She's the personal stylist, the hairstylist, the outfit planner, and the personal shopper. She's the chief financial officer in most homes. She pays the bills or buys what's needed. She's the entertainer, the singer, the performer, the actress, the lullaby soother, the magician. She's the one who makes the, all the personal picture books. In most homes, she's the psychic, the reader of minds, the guesser of the needs, the predictor of the future. The one who sees all and catches all. If my mom was sitting here, I would not look at her because she has eyes in the back of her head. She's the sleep coach, the nap negotiator, the monster slayer, the nightmare soother. She's the investigator, the finder of all the missing things, the questioner when there is a fight or a someone says, I didn't color on the wall. She's the one who finds out the truth. She is the examiner of such things as poop and phlegm. She's the multitasker, the cook, the entertainer, the rule forcer, their life coach all at one time, the chief Instagrammer. 
She takes all the photos, posts everything on social media, keeps track of all of the connections with all the friends and outside people, or out, people outside of the home. She's the translator. She interprets all of the sayings. She's the understander of everything the baby says, the communicator to anyone else who doesn't understand them. She's the dental hygienist, the researcher, the crisis negotiator, the personal trainer, the bargain hunter, the encyclopedia, and probably for all of us, she's the comforter. She's the chief cuddler, the professional hugger, the best kisser, the human pillow. Really, the title mother carries with it a lot, doesn't it? And I know that many of us in here, if you're like me, I have a great relationship with my mom, and I'm so thankful for the godly mother I have, and many of you, perhaps a godly mother, maybe not, but regardless of that, you could probably look at your relationship with your mom and just sit back and say, man, she really did do a lot. She really does do a lot. The title of mother carries with it a lot. This morning, I want to talk to you about a title. Not the title of mom, but a different title. And I want to challenge you this morning to adopt this title. It's a title that carries with it some weight and some responsibilities, but it's a title that if applied and if lived out, it truly can revolutionize every area of your life. It's found in Nehemiah chapter number 10 and the principles established in Nehemiah chapter 10. And on this journey of Nehemiah, we've been with one man, Nehemiah, as he journeyed with a people group in Jerusalem to build a wall. You'll remember Nehemiah was a, a cupbearer in the king's palace in Shushan or Susa, the media Persian winter empire palace. He was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah was a man that was Hebrew by heritage but had not been to Jerusalem, yet he had maybe traveled there. He had never lived there, but he still had a heart for his people. And we find in the early chapters of Nehemiah that Nehemiah gains a burden, a great burden for uh, his people and for his land because his brother comes back and his brother Hanani shares with him that the walls are broken down and the city uh, gates are burnt and the people are reproached and living in affliction. And so Nehemiah gets this burden. What can I do? How can I help God's people? And the burden is I'm going to go help them build the wall. Because if I can help them build a wall, I can help them see the importance of the people who live, within, who live within the wall. And so Nehemiah, if you've been with us on our journey, Nehemiah travels to Jerusalem and he spends uh, 52 days helping the people, leading the people in this monumentous task of building the wall. And they complete it in 52 days, really a miracle. They, they complete it through opposition. They complete it through uh, opposition from without and opposition from within. They complete it because of people who fought against it and because of people inside who didn't work. And yet, they still complete the wall. But after they completed the wall, what we've realized the last few weeks is the people beginning to realize that it never was about the wall. It was always about the people. You see, God is interested in people. God's not just interested in, in buildings, and God's not, interest, not just interested in tasks being completed. No, God is interested in relationships with me and you. And aren't you thankful this morning that creator God cares about you and cares about me? Man, I don't know about you, but there are days that I, I question, 
God, why, why do you care about me like you do? God, why, why, do you, why do you have patience with me like you do? God, why do you want to lead me and guide me? The people in Nehemiah, they were beginning to realize that it never was about the wall. It was always about their heart with their God. Most recently, last week, last week we discovered in Nehemiah chapter number nine, the people getting serious. You see, what had happened is in Nehemiah chapter 6, they complete the wall. In Nehemiah chapter 7, it's a transitional chapter where we begin to see the, the, uh, um, uh, the main thing not being about the wall, but we begin to see Nehemiah telling the people and helping the people understand it's always been about you. And, and then in Nehemiah chapter number 8, a great thing begins taking place. The people begin experiencing revival. They begin reading the word of God. They begin realizing ways that, they've, um, that their heritage, their, their uh, uh, forefathers had gone away from the Lord. And so the people begin to say, man, let's, let's redirect this back to God. And so last week they began to get serious about it. They got serious about saying, God, we want to live lives that will glorify you. They got serious, if you remember, and you were here last week, they got serious not only about exalting God, but they got, they got serious about realizing the goodness of who God was. God, you've been gracious and merciful to us. And God, we want to break the pattern. There's a sin pattern through our heritage. God, we're going to break the pattern. And then we ended last week, and I said that we were going to pick right up where we ended. Because the people got serious about making a commitment to the Lord. They basically came to the point where they said, hey, enough talk. We've been talking a lot. Enough talk, it's time for action. And what's the action they took? Well, we're going to see it this morning. So take your Bible, if you would, Nehemiah chapter 9. And let's go to Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 10. We're going to begin the very last verse of Nehemiah chapter 9. Stand with me, if you would. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter number nine, beginning in verse number 38, we read these words. And because of all of this, we, this is the people speaking, we made a sure covenant and write it and our princes and Levites and priests and seal unto it. Hey, we're done talking. Now we're, we're making some promises. We're making a covenant we're signing our names to something. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 28 of Nehemiah chapter 10. Verse 28 and 29. It says, And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands, they separated themselves unto the law of God. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes." I said a moment ago that the people got serious about making a commitment. What were they making a commitment to? In these two verses, we're going to dissect them a little bit today as well as the verses around, but understand this, that they made a commitment to become people of the book. 
They made a commitment to become people of the book. Hey, we are going to allow the law of God and the word of God to be our main influence. And what they were making a covenant, I'll just get right to it today. They were making a covenant with the Bible. They were signing their name to the word of God. God, what you've given us, we sign our name to it. God, we don't, we don't know exactly what that means in all of these areas. We know a few ways it's going to affect us. But God, we commit, we make a covenant to become people of the book. No more are we going to be like our forefathers going up and down. No more are we going to live as, a, as people in a reproach or live as people in affliction. No, God, we are serious enough to sign our names and make a covenant. God, we are going to be people of the book. What does that mean? What's it mean to become a person of the book? That's the title I want to encourage you this morning to take but I'm not gonna just tell you to take the title without understanding what it means. And so this morning, we're gonna spend the next few minutes looking into the word of God and discovering what it means to become a person of the book, what it means to make a covenant with the word of God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you would, just in the quietness of the moment, would you ask God to speak to you? Would you pray something simple of God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me today. And then would you make a commitment? God, as you speak to me this morning, as you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna respond to you. Dear Lord, we wanna come before you and we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for how you use it to help us and to speak to us and to encourage us. And God, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be challenged by your word. God, I know that I have nothing to offer except for that which you would give through me. And so, Lord, I humble my mind and my heart and my words to you today. I pray that you'd speak through me. And Lord, that we would leave here challenged, encouraged, and Lord, ultimately change because of what your spirit does through your word in our hearts this morning. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As we come to Nehemiah chapter number 10 this morning, we've already seen uh, a few weeks ago, we've seen the people get serious about the word of God. As a matter of fact, three weeks ago, we saw them begin to, to see life more clearly because of the impact that God's word was making in their life. But I want us to see this morning, I want them to see them saying that we're not just going to look to the word of God from time to time. No, we want to be known as people of the book. What does it mean to be a person of the book? Why would they say, I don't want to just look to the word of God from time to time? We make a covenant to allow the word of God to be the main influence in our life. Why, why would someone say that? I think that there's some great <clears throat> principles that we're going to see this morning, and there's some great truths that will help each of us. But I want to lay a little bit of a, of a foundation this morning to say that if you and I are not careful, as we go through the so-called Christian life, as we go through the Christian life, that we can be somebody who just turns to God from time to time. 
Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. That's, that's really easy to do, isn't it? To just turn to God from time to time. It's easy to be known as a Christian in, in name only, to be a nominal follower of God. And to turn to God when I need him or turn to God when Christmas comes around or Easter comes around or when that, that one day comes around, you know, every few months where I just feel like, you know, I just need to turn to God. And, and so we turn to God during those times and we kind of become uh, that follower of God that, that only turns to him when we, we think about it. And to be honest, we often don't think about it. We kind of just live our life. On the opposite hand, there are Christians who say, I don't want to just be a person who turns to God every now and then. I want to be a person who allows God to influence my life every day. And we know from the word of God that God, say, God says and God states that the most fulfillment, we saw this a few weeks ago, the most joy and the greatest decisions the best part of life is lived when we are allowing him to influence our life every day. That's what it means to be a person of the book. Someone who says, God, I'm going to let your word shape everything about me. I want you to see this morning, that's the covenant they were making. As we look at, at the covenant that they were making, very quickly, I just want us to notice uh, just a few thoughts leading up to verse 28 and 29 I see in verse number one, we find some people who are making the covenant. Okay, in verse number uh, 38 of chapter nine, we find them saying, hey, here's a number of people that went into this. But as chapter 10 starts, they're actually listing out the people. In chapter 10, you read the names Nehemiah, they're Tirshatha, uh, the son of Hakaliah, or Zedekiah, or Zedekiah would be another name. Well, what is the Tirshatha? This would be like the governor. So Nehemiah, we know he's come in. He's, he's the governor. Uh, Zedekiah is the vice governor. That's who these two people are. They're the religious leaders. They're the first two top names right there. And uh, when we begin to sign who's making this covenant to the word of God, who's making this covenant to the law of God, the, the, the political leaders, the political leaders, they're right at the top. The second group is verse two down through verse number 13. Verse 2 down through verse number 13, and, and you wouldn't know this just by reading it right at the top, but you would as you get further down when it says in verse number, um, uh, verse number 9, it says, And the Levites, both Jeshua and the son of Azaniah, and it continues. Verse 2 down through verse number 13 is a list of the priests and their helpers, the Levites. All right, well, who were the priests and Levites? They were the religious leaders. They were the people of the day that said, hey, we are going to help people turn to God, the religious leaders. So who do we have signing this? We have the political leaders signing it. We have the religious leaders signing it. But then verse 14 down through verse number 27, it lists for us what verse 14 says, the chief of the people. And then it gives all these names. Now, we've already done a whole chapter of names in chapter number three, and that was an exciting week, wasn't it? Where we tried to read all those names. So we're going to forego reading all the names this morning. But you look at all of these names, the chief of the people, what is that? It's the representative, a representative from every family. So you have the political leaders signing this agreement, the religious leaders signing this agreement, and the family leaders signing this agreement. And then in verse number 28, we read right at the beginning, the rest of the people. 
everyone who had knowledge and had understanding. They were all signing this covenant. Now, I bring all of that out to understand this morning that this covenant was started with the leadership and it came all the way down, all the way down to the lowest people that they would look at. And that would be, some would refer to them as the Nethanims. What were the Nethanims? The Nethanims were the servants of the servants. The Nethanims would have been those that served the Levites. The Levites were the servants of the priests. The priests were the servants of the people in religious matters. And so the Nethanims were, were seen as kind of one of the low people. Why is Nehemiah, why is he writing all these people names? Why is he writing the political leaders and the religious leaders and the, the family leaders? Because Nehemiah is helping us understand that this wasn't just one person saying, hey, let's do this. This was a unified people saying, hey, we are all on board with becoming people of the book. Hey, I wonder this morning, what would happen if Moses Lake Baptist Church, if every person said, I'm going to become a person of the book? Hey, we're all in. Not just the leaders, not just the, the, the political leaders, not just the religious leaders, not just the family leaders. No, 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 we are all in. That's what was taking place in this passage. But exactly what were they signing? What were they signing? And where do we see them saying we want to become people of the book? We read in verse number 28, halfway through verse number 28, it says that they had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. They were separating themselves unto the law of God. They were saying, God, we're not going to just turn to you from time to time. No, we want to turn to you permanently. But I want you to notice something else, and this is super interesting this morning. Verse number 29. Do you see in verse number 29 where it says, They claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our, our Lord, his judgments and his statutes. Do you see that phrase where it says to enter into a curse and into an oath. Do you see that there? What does that mean? To enter into a curse and into an oath. All right, pastor, you asked us what it means. We don't know. What do you think? Well, I didn't know either. And so I had to find out. And what does this mean? In order to really understand this, we've got to remember some things from Moses. How many of you remember Moses in the Bible? You've read about Moses. Moses was the one who led in the exodus out of Egypt, right? And he was the one that was supposed to be able to lead the people into the promised land. But we know that the people came to the promised land. Remember the story in the book of Exodus? The people came to the promised land, sent 12 spies in. Of the 12 spies, 10 were bad and two were good. 10 came back, gave a bad report. Two gave a, a good report. The, the group, the people listened to the 10. And instead of going into the promised land and claiming that which God had given them, the people would end up wandering in the desert for nearly 40 years. Moses, God told him, Moses, I will still let you lead the people into the promised land. But during those 40 years, remember that Moses was supposed to speak to the rock for water to come out, and instead he smote it. And God said, Moses, because you smote the rock instead of speaking to it, I'm not going to allow you to go into the promised land. So Moses, no doubt, was a heartbroken man. Uh, I personally believe, looking at the life of Moses, 
I know that God is a sovereign God and, and understands the future, but I believe that it broke the heart of God to have to not allow Moses to go into the land. Uh, the Bible de 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 defines Moses as a friend of God. What a description. Man, wouldn't that be a great uh, marker on your headstone? A friend of God. This was this man, Moses. Well, what did Moses do? Well, he led the people and did a number of things to, to help them. But he also gave them the, the law that God had given him. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the, the second law giving. And what Moses did is he told the people, and you can go read about this in Deuteronomy chapter number uh, 27 and 28. Moses told the people, hey, here's something that God wants you to do. Now remember, we're talking about this phrase, entering into a curse and into an oath. Here's something that God had told them to do. When you go into the promised land, when you cross over the Jordan River, you're going to fight some battles. We know that they crossed over, they fought Jericho, they fought Ai, and then they came to a place called the Valley of Shechem. And here's what they were told. When you enter into the promised land and you're in that Valley of Shechem, remember that the Valley of Shechem was the very first place that God brought Abraham. When God brought Abraham to Shechem, uh, Abram, he said, hey, everywhere you look, everywhere your foot touches, it is all yours. And the Valley of Shechem is, is a valley right in between two mountains. But here's what God had told Moses to tell the people. When you come into the Valley of Shechem, you're going to see the Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, one to the south and, and one to the north. North is Mount Ebal, south is Mount Gerizim. When you come into the Valley of Shechem, here's what you're going to do. You're going to send six tribes, the tribe of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph is listed. Of course, you know that that'd be broken up into two tribes and the tribe of Benjamin. You're going to send all of them up Mount Gerizim. The other six tribes are going to go up Mount Ebal. So that would be Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And here's what you're supposed to do. When the first group gets on top of Mount Gerizim, you're going to begin to shout all of the blessings of God. That's what you're going to do. You're going to shout, God is patient with us. And the other side is going to shout, amen. And then you're going to shout, God is kind to us. And the other side is going to shout, amen. Then, after you're done listing out all of the blessings, those who are on top of Mount Ebal are going to list out all of the curses. If we don't, then we'd better watch out. If we don't follow the Lord, we better understand the consequences. And you can go through Deuteronomy 27 has this all listed out. And after they shouted the curses, the other group was supposed to again yell, Amen. When you go there, and you can still go to the Valley of Shechem today, and you can find that it is a natural amphitheater. It's a natural amphitheater. So if you had thousands of people on Mount Ebal shouting one thing, everybody would hear it. If you had thousands of people on Mount Gerizim shouting one thing, everybody would hear it. 
Well, what was the purpose of God having his people do this? What was the, what was the purpose in this? Well, the purpose is that they were to publicly and boldly proclaim, we will be people who follow the words of God. That's what, that's what it all boils down to. And when you and I read the phrase entering into a curse or entering into an oath, it's referring to Deuteronomy 27. It's referring to what they were supposed to do when they came to the Valley of Shechem and Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. It's referring to them saying, hey, we will be people who follow the words of God. Do you know what they were understanding in in, in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28 and 29? They were making a commitment. They were saying, hey, God, our forefathers were supposed to boldly and publicly proclaim that we would be people that followed your word and that allowed your word to be our main influence. God, they didn't do it, but God, we make a covenant. We sign our name to your words. We want to be known as people of the book. What they were saying is that they would be people of the word of God, that the word of God would be the main influence in their life. They were pledging their lives to the word of God. They were saying, we are going to allow your word to direct our decisions. God, we are not going to lean into our own understanding. No, we are going to allow your book. We are going to allow your law. We are going to allow what you gave Moses. We're going to allow it to affect everything in our life. This morning, I want to encourage you to make the same decision. Sign your name to the word of God. But I want you to notice with me just for the next few minutes, a few things that happen. What are some things that happen when we become people of the book? When we allow God's word to be the main influence into our life, what will it affect? They list it out for us in the next few verses. I want you to notice with me today that when you and I, when we allow the word of God to be our main influence, it will affect our home. Listen, when you allow the word of God to be your main influence, it is going to affect your home. Notice, if you will, verse number 30. Verse number 30. They said this, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. When you see that phrase from here on out, when you see the and, The and in the verbiage is not in addition to. So they're not saying we're going to become people of the book. Plus, we're going to not allow our daughters to become married to the people of the land. Plus, it wasn't in addition to. They were saying, here's the areas that we know it's going to affect. Here's the areas that we know it is when we say, God, your word will be our main influence. We know it is going to affect our home life. What were they saying in verse number 30? Well, I'm not going to recap something that we've already preached, but strangers in the land were people that they were supposed to drive out. Remember, God had told Joshua, God had told the judges to either drive out or to eliminate uh, the, the different people groups that were in the land, all of the ites and the Philistines and all of that. But they had failed to do that. Because of that, there was a lot of of intermarrying going on where you had people who did not believe in God marrying into the, the children of God, the people of God. And because of that, 
just like Solomon and just like even David and just like many of the kings and, and uh, leaders in the book of Kings and the books of Chronicles, the hearts of the leaders were turned from God because of the idols of their wives. So because they had married somebody who was not a follower of God, it had affected their life completely. You know what they were saying in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse number 30? They were saying, we understand that if God is our main influence, it's going to affect our family relationships. It's going to affect our homes. It's going to affect who we marry. It's going to affect how we spend our life with our family. It's going to affect the closest relationships to us. I want to say this morning that the greatest relationship outside of your relationship with God is your marriage and your family relationship. And when you, listen, when you and I make the word of God our biggest influence, it is going to affect your marriage and it is going to affect your kids. It, it's, just a, it's just a proven principle in the word of God. It is going to affect it in a positive way. And the very first thing they mention is their family relationships, their marriage relationships, and their home relationships. I want to say this morning, if you would, this is totally off subject, but bear with my voice. This whole week has been a weird week. And my voice, you can ask the staff, it's just been like, ever since last Sunday, my voice has been in and out. And so if it starts to go out, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. So it's just one of those things. I can feel it right now, like saying, I hate you. So if it goes out, I apologize, and I'll just whisper my way through it, all right? Give me a second. I don't know. Anyway, um, what they were saying is understanding this, this principle that if, if we are going to allow God's word to be our main influence, it is going to affect the closest relationships. You know... In your life and in my life, we need to know that the bedrock foundation, foundational relationship in society is the marriage. It's the first institution that God ordained, isn't it? Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you're going to find the institution of the family being put in. One man said it this way. He said, show me the way of your marriage and I will show you the way of your family. Show me the way of your family and I will show you the way of society. Do you think it's of a coincidence that the definition of marriage is under attack today? No, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a coincidence. Do you think it's just a coincidence that the devil is attacking the, the definition of genders today? No, it's, it's not a coincidence. It's not a mistake. It's not just happenstance. Now, you know what the devil is trying to do? Listen, he's trying to shake the foundations that God established. They're, they're the bedrock foundations in our society and the bedrock foundations in, in, in the church. 
We understand that it's no wonder that they're under attack, and it's no wonder that when you and I let his word be the main influence, that it is going to positively affect your marriage. It is going to positively affect what you think about gender and what you think about raising kids and what you think about about being the dad or the mom, today being Mother's Day. Listen, moms, make yourself a mother who is a person of the book. And it is going to affect how you raise your kids. And it's going to do it in a positive way. This is what they were understanding. I, I, hope, I, I hope this morning that even through all the distractions that we would, that we would just may, maybe zone in and understand the principle that they're getting at that, that we can learn from this passage is them saying, God, we are no, we're not going to mess around anymore. God, we've already, we've already got ourselves in a huge mess. We're already in affliction and suffering and reproach, and our, our wall was broken down, but we've got that taken care of. But God, we now realize that the problem is not the wall. The problem is that we have stopped allowing you to be the greatest influencer in our life. And I wonder this morning if you and I would step back and understand that our country's in a mess. And Christianity and churches and Christians are, are in a mess. And it's not because of, of politics. And it's not because of, of the different uh, uh, crowds that lead one way or another. No, listen, it's in a mess because Christianity lacks Christians who will say we will be people of the book. And families are broken down and families are destroyed because... We've stopped being people of the book. Hey, you want a healthy family that stands against the attack of the devil? Make a covenant to be a people of the word of God. When we allow God's word to be the main influence into our life, it will affect our home. I see secondly this morning and very quickly when we allow the word of God to be the main influence in our life, not only will it affect our home, but it will affect our work. It will affect our work. Go with me to verse number 31. Verse number 31, notice what it says. And if the people of the land bring ware or any victuals or victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now here's what's going on in the first part of the verse. The Jews here in, in Jerusalem in Nehemiah 10, they had adopted a loophole to the law. Now, I want you to remember in the law of God that God had given to them, he had told them to uh, honor the Sabbath and to not work on the Sabbath. Well, their loophole was this. We're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, but people who live among us that don't know the law of God and don't follow the law of God, they're allowed to work on the Sabbath. So we'll let them work, and then we'll buy of their goods. In the second part of the verse, when it says we would leave the seventh year in the exaction of debt, the Lord had told them not to work the land in the, that seventh year and make it a year of rest, a rest for rest from work and rest for the land. But what they had done is that's a bad business mindset. They thought, that, that's just bad business. If I don't work the land, I don't get crops. If I don't get crops, I don't make money. So I'm going to continue working the land. And forgiving debt, debt, why would I forgive debt? If they owe it to me, they owe it to me. 
But here's what they were realizing in Nehemiah chapter 10. They were realizing that the Sabbath was a day of rest. The seventh year was a year of rest. And it was all meant to focus upon the Lord and to be reliant upon the Lord. But they were making work concessions because it was better for business. What's the principle for us then? The principle for us in this is that in their work, they were to put God first, to honor God every day. And for you and I, it should be the same thing. We should have a business mind that says, I want to honor God every day, not just on certain days. You see, we've adopted, or excuse me, we, we have trouble and we compartmentalize God sometimes. We make Sunday about God, but on Monday, after all, it's my job. On Monday, I may have to do some compromising things. I may have to make some concessions here and there. I may need to smudge the truth, but it's my job. The principle we can learn is that when you allow the word of God into your life, it is going to affect your work. This is what they were saying. We're not going to just honor God in word only. We're going to honor God in everything, even in our business dealings. Part of what God is saying to them is that there is more important things than, than your work. There is more important things than being a workaholic. There's more important relationships than you uh, just getting that debt given back to you. And for you and I, when God's word gets into our life, it's going to affect us each and it should affect us each and every day. I said it two weeks ago, but the truth is that our Sundays should permeate our Mondays. And your Christianity, when you make yourself a, a person of the word of God, it not only will affect your, mon your Sunday, but it'll, it'll affect you on Monday as you take your place in that factory line. It'll affect you on Tuesday when you work the drive through and on Wednesday when you're sitting in staff meeting, and on Thursday when you're at that lunch appointment, and on, on Friday at the conference call, and Saturday at the, at the kids' game. Listen, when you and I allow the word of God to, to influence our life, it is going to affect not only our home relationships, relationships, but all of our business dealings and all of our relationships with people. And this is what they were understanding. They were coming to the place where they said, God, we get it. God, we get it. We're not just going to say that we want to follow you. No, God, we're going to make ourselves people of the book. We are going to sign our names. We make a covenant today to allow your word to be our influence and it's going to affect our homes. It will affect our work and our business dealings, but also it'll affect our worship. It'll affect how we ascribe worth to you, God. We're not gonna read all the verses, but notice verse 32. It says, also we made ordinances for us to change, to, excuse me, to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. From verse 32 all the way down to <clears throat> all the way down to verse number 39, we find the people realizing that when they become people of the book, it is going to affect their attitude and their commitment toward God. In verses 32 and 33, they say that they're going to give to the house of God and to the needs of God. In verse 34, they're going to remember 
the offerings and the sacrifices that God has asked them to participate in. In verse 35, they're going to bring the first fruits to God. Verse 36, they're going to dedicate the firstborn to God. Verse 37, they're going to remember the tithe. Verse 38, they're going to steward the giving of the, the house of God. In verse number 39, they're going to offer their offerings and give openly before the Lord. In all of these verses, what they were doing was recognizing their responsibility to ascribe worth to God, but specifically in the area of giving. Hey, God, we understand that if we make ourselves people of the book, we're going to be concerned about worshiping you by giving back to you. Now, you know me, those of you that have been at our church for any length of time, I don't just harp on giving. I know people say, well, when you go to church, you always hear about giving. Well, the Bible talks a lot about giving. Jesus mentioned a ton about giving. And I just want to say this this morning. What they were saying is, God, we're going, to supplete, we're going to completely support the work of God. We are going to ascribe worth to you by financially giving back to you because, God, you own it all anyway. And when we make ourselves people of the book, it is going to affect where our money goes. It is going to affect our worship of God in the area of giving. We're going to want to support the work. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The principle here is simply understanding like Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he wrote about the churches of Macedonia that they recognize, God, you own everything, and so we live with an open hand. It doesn't mean that when I, go to, when I go to church that I've got to literally give everything to God in the sense of, you know, like my bank account has, you know, $200 in it. I sign over a check for $201 in faith that that $1 is going to come in. God, it all goes to you and you deserve it all anyway, God. It doesn't mean that. No, what it means is recognize that it all belongs to God and I'm a steward. And a way that I ascribe worth to him is by living with an open hand saying, God, what you place in my hand, I'll steward it for you. And God, when you want me to give it back to you, I'll give it back to you. You know what the people were realizing? They were realizing when we make, our, when we make ourselves people of the book, it is going to affect how we ascribe worth to him in the area of giving. But I want you to notice lastly with me this morning, one final thought. That when you and I make ourselves people of the book, it will affect our faithfulness to him. Look at the very last part of chapter number 10. The last part of verse number 39, it says this, and we will not, read it with me, forsake the house of God. We will not forsake the house of God. You know what these people were really understanding? They were understanding that God should not simply be a part of our life that God should be our life. And they were saying, God, we understand that if we become people of the book, we recognize that it'll affect our faithfulness to you. The word forsake, it means to loosen or to relinquish. And they were making the statement, hey, we make a covenant to be people of the word of God and we know it'll affect our home. It'll affect our workplace and our business dealings. It'll affect our worship, but it also will affect our faithfulness to you. And God, we will not let up. We will not loosen up. We will not relinquish in giving attention 
to the house of God. I see the end part, one man said it this way, as the exclamation point upon the covenant that they were making. Hey, God, we're going to be people of the book, and it's going to affect every area of our life, and we're going to remain faithful to you. For them, the house of God was the temple. For us, in the New Testament, it's, it's church. House of God is the church of God. We live in a society where church, where the house of God is a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. And I'm not even talking about people outside of the church, people who don't go to church. I mean, people who call themselves followers of God, church has become a take-it-or-leave-it thing. Now, I understand. You're here this morning. You're like, Pastor, we're here. It's not take-it-or-leave-it today. I get it. I understand that. But I want to remind us this morning that we need church. We need church. We remember last year, we had, for those few weeks... We were shut down, although people were still in here and we were still having church. We were shut down for those few weeks. And, and honestly, many folks were, un, were unable to come. And still to this day, there's many people that, that may watch online and be online with us. And, and I by no means, and I want you to understand my heart this morning, by no means am I saying, uh, con- condemning the act of, of watching online or things like that. Not at all. But I remember those six weeks, the phone calls I got, the comments I heard of people saying, Pastor, I never realized how much I needed church until I couldn't have it. Many, many in this room said that very phrase to me. And yet here we are a year later, and many people who have said that phrase Don't come. I want to say this morning, we need this place. And while many unfortunately have that take it or leave it attitude, I want to say that when you make yourself a person of the book, your attitude will not be a take it or leave it thing about the house of God. And too many Christians approach the house of God with a take it or leave it attitude. Unfortunately, for many, they leave it. It's kind of that mindset of, well, if I don't have something else going on, if the game isn't happening, if family's not in town, if we can find plenty of reasons not to be faithful to the house of God. But in Nehemiah 10, they were saying, we're done finding reasons not to be faithful. We're people of the book, and it will affect our faithfulness. We're not going to loosen up in this. We will not forsake the house of God. When you and I allow ourselves to have the word of God as our main influence, we will have a desire to be faithful to his house. They were making a covenant. These people, they were saying, we're going to be people of the book, people of the word. I want to ask you this morning, when you look at verse number one, all the way down through verse number 27, you see a list of names, right? You see all those names. I want to ask you today, would you sign your name? Would you sign your name to the word of God? Would you make the commitment that they made? On July 4th, 1776, the president of the Continental Congress was the very first man to sign the Declaration of Independence. His name is right at the top, real big, John Hancock. John Hancock. 
Later, others would sign that Declaration of Independence all the way up through the month of November, 56 signers in total, 56 men pledging their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to the founding and the establishment of a new country. Realizing that when they signed their name, they realized that it was an all-out commitment. They realized that it was an all-out declaration, and indeed, many of them, they did lose their, their life. Many of them lost their family. Many of them lost their fortunes. Many of them lost their sacred honor. And now, today, the, the phrase, putting your John Hancock, has become synonymous with putting your signature down and making a commitment. When you sign your John Hancock to something, you're saying, hey, I'm serious about this. I want to ask you this morning, will you sign your John Hancock to the word of God? I want to ask you this morning, will you make a commitment to say, God, I want to join the people of Nehemiah chapter number 10. I realize that there's going to be times that it's not going to be the easiest decisions. God, I realize that there are times that I'm going to have to, to take a stand. God, I realize there are some times that your word is going to go contrary to culture. But God, I make a commitment. I'm going to be a person of the book. God, I make a commitment. No more up and down. God, no more am I going to be like those who have gone before me, just kind of living the wishy-washy type Christianity. No, 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 no. God, no more. God, I'm going to become a person of the book. God, I sign my name. I want to ask you this morning, would you sign your name? I want to ask you this morning, this week at work, would you sign your name that you'll be a person of God? This week, you'll be a person of the book. This week, his word will be the number one influence in your life. Will you sign your name? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.